Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hey, you guys, it's Anna David. You are listening to Recover Girl. It's a podcast about addiction and recovery and sharing your dark in order to find your light. We are so getting towards the end of this year. I don't know. That's making me think about a couple things. First of all, I feel like I've heard a lot of people talk lately about like, man, 2017, so ready for that year to be over. God, this year sucked. Of course, there were some let's just say, complicated, surreal things happening in the world. But what do you think of the fact that maybe we just reinforce some bad idea when we talk about how bad this year has been? How about let's talk about how good this year has been? That got me thinking about another thing, and that is that I'm extremely grateful to you. I'm talking to you, whoever is listening. The fact, truly, that I get to sit here in my kitchen and record into this thing, um, this thing, aka a uh, recorder, um, and that anybody cares and listens is really, really remarkable when I take a step back and think about it, something I rarely do. This year, which has not sucked, I have gotten some of the most incredible emails from you guys. They mean so much to me. I am a hardened soul. And even if you don't ever send me an email and you just listen, that download means a lot to me. So I want to take this opportunity to do something I've never done, which is thank you sincerely for listening. With that, I'm going to tell you about this guest. This is from one of my Facebook Live interviews. I will tell you this. Um, you know, I've been releasing Facebook live interviews and then I've been releasing stories from my storytelling show. The sound got totally effed up at the recent storytelling show. So I do not have those episodes for you. So from now until the end of the year, in fact, until our next storytelling show, which isn't until the end of January, you are just going to be getting these Facebook live interviews. I'm so sorry about that. I was going to release them with the really freaking janky sound. And then somebody said to me, you know, somebody could listen to your podcast, hear that bad sound and say, I will never listen to that podcast again. So I did it for them. Anyway, that's it. If you like this podcast, please review it. Or I mean, I mean, subscribe. Reviewing takes longer. Subscribing, I don't think takes any time. You don't have to do anything. Like I said, I'm just grateful you're listening. But if you did those things, God, that would be very, very cool. I'm going to tell you about my guest. He's awesome. Wes Gear. Sounds like he was born to be a musician or a car mechanic. Well, turns out he was born to be a musician. Um, he it was in the band 
Corn. You may be familiar with them from 2009 to 2013. But he was doing a lot way before that. Head PE was his first band. And uh, then he did some bottoming out on, on the old drugs and alcohol. Resurfaced. Went to treatment in 2004. Has been sober since 2007. So he is coming up, if you are listening to this when I'm releasing it, on his 10th anniversary anniversary of sobriety in recovery he joined that band corn he toured and then what's even more incredible is he started a foundation and a company called rock to recovery and they bring music into treatment centers all over the world it's completely mind-blowingly incredible um you know this is a guy who could have dined out for the rest of his life on, yeah, I was in corn, whatever. He didn't do that. He is out there making a serious difference. Rock to Recovery is a huge business. Um, They've worked, they do like over 400 sessions a month. They've got a staff of 10 people. Um, They are legit. Uh, They got a Facebook page. If you go and you like their Facebook page, by the way, um, he says this in the interview, you can go like their Facebook page and you can get in to this awesome party that's happening in the next few weeks he's going to pick somebody to go you just go to facebook.com slash rock to recovery go like it send a direct message but don't do that until after you've listened to this episode with west gear guys i am anna david here four o'clock pacific standard time super psyched about my guest today i've got west gear look at that it says Wesley Gear on on the screen. We're going to get into whether it's Wes or Wesley. See, mm. We're going to get into that and so much more. Um, Wes is the former guitar player for Corn. He is the CEO of Rock to Recovery, which brings uh, basically brings music recovery to treatment centers. Um, helps people who are new to recovery form bands, play music. They just did a huge live show. They've had people like. Uh, Billy Idol play with them, Mark McGrath, um, all sorts of people. If you are here, go share this on your page. You want to hear about how somebody can go from decadent rocker to, you know, spiritual guy who goes into treatment centers and helps people uh, sort of with his share the love and joy of music. So you got to yes. put the, you put, got to put the gutter in there first, the, Rock star gutter. Then, well, then. I I was leaving the you to mention the the freaking gutter. Oh, okay, but okay, fair enough. I don't know if you remember when we we met. Um, you know, we had emailed uh, about your show a few months ago, and then we met at this uh, at this sort of fancy event. And I think somebody introduced us, and I said, "You, you're <laughs> you're, you're so clean cut." I thought oh, I was emailing with this like you know sort of guttery rocker freaking dude don't let Uh, the appearance fool you (laughs) so so we were talking a little bit before you have been uh you went to treatment in 2004 and you've been sober since 2007 Uh uh-huh that's correct yeah and you joined corn in sobriety well i only got that gig because i was sober that's the cool part about the story tell us the story well, my first band was called Head, which turned into Head PE. We were on Jive Records, and uh, I was a leader of that band with my singer. And uh, we were leading that band while fully intoxicated on 
let's just say stuff a lot stronger than booze. Mm. Um, if you want to find out anybody out there listening, it's not hard. It's all over the interwebs. Yes. <laughs> that might be it. So we basically went in to meet with the almighty Jive Records, home of Too Short, you know, uh, Tribe Called Quest, Britney Spears, NSYNC, all these people as their premier rock band. And we were just loaded to the gills. Um, so that's how that happened. I toured like that for a number of years. And then uh, as most bands that are operating like that go, um, we imploded. And I had to I had to jump off the ship. Um, it wasn't getting any better. Um, and, and that quickly landed me in rehab because I didn't realize how much I identified with being a musician and I was lost, careerless. And so I went back to all the things even heavier. I was trying to stay away from drugs and such. So in rehab, that's when I was taught about my addiction. Um, it was very, it was a great experience for learning because I didn't know, I didn't understand. And I, I was taught, you know, that I, I have like this allergy that once I pick up, I can't control it. And that, I was like, yeah, that that's, that's it. That's me. So I followed this program of recovery. And of course, you know, my brain, I think the challenge for anybody getting sober or battling addiction or whatever is we can't imagine life with it and we can't imagine life without it. I certainly didn't think I would ever play music again, um, be sober and play music, uh, which is the most insane thing because like, I feel like music's God given gift, you know, it's here, it's here in the universe. It's like the human language we're all encoded with. So I did this program of recovery and I stuck with it. And after a couple of years, I started feeling like, man, I really want to play again. And, and at this time, I'm no spring chicken. I wasn't going to get in the van and like drive around gutter clubs with punk rock bands, you know. And uh, I was meditating and praying on it. And then within 10 days of doing this meditation on manifestation and going, universe, I want to get back into music. I got a text. And it was Monkey from Corn asked me to come play with him. Um, and because they wanted somebody who was seasoned in the industry who wasn't a partier. So my name had come up before, um, Brian head Welch, the original guy left years ago prior to that. And, uh, my name came up and they're like, no, Wes is a mess. No way. Not that guy. But by now a few years had gone by and my name came up again. Same thing. Oh, he's a mess. No, no, he's sober a few years. And that's what landed me the gig. You know, they wanted somebody who wasn't going to come in and, you know, be like chicks, whiskey. Yeah. You know, somebody who could be a professional and, so sobriety got me the best music gig of my life, you know, and I got to tour around the world and stay sober and be present for it all, work through the stage fright and the fear and all that and not have to pound whiskey or snort things. It's pretty cool. What about sort of after the show on tour, that whole vibe of being on tour, was that challenging to stay sober? What were your tools? Well, you know, by by this time, to be honest, I'd love to say that, you know, I'd like to, like to paint the story that it was like being at the Playboy Mansion or something, but it wasn't. By this time of Korn's career, the guys are married. They're settling down. That's why they wanted somebody like me in there. So certainly people were coming backstage, drinking and partying, but the band wasn't going crazy. And I think if you don't, like you're saying, if you don't have a solution, yeah, it could be challenging. But uh, I'm a person who partakes in a program of recovery where I can go to uh, support groups around the world. And that's what I did. And I had a daily routine that I followed, which is like, you know, get up, pray, do some meditation, read some spiritual books. And kind of this one day plan that worked to get me a few years and it's worked to get me, you know, 10 years. So almost anyhow. So it's about 
Oh, you're free. Uh-oh. Okay, you froze, but you're back. Um, okay, and Missy is saying, we got people here. Missy is saying, what a great story and awesome job Wes is doing. Thank God for recovery. I have a question, Wes. When you said you were doing this manifestation meditation, yeah. were you a guy uh, who said things like that when you were out in the gutter clubs, or was that kind of spiritual element something new to your life in recovery? No, the funny thing about Head PE, my first band, which not a household name, but in among our peers, we knew guys from Incubus and System of a Down and Corn and all these bands at the time. We had a lot of respect musically, but we were all so scared in that band. We were afraid people wouldn't like us. We didn't know how to connect with people. Um, no, we didn't know manifest. No, we didn't know put out good vibes and get them back. We, we felt like we we're like the black sheep of the rock and roll family, which if you can imagine what that would be, um, it was just weird. We, I think the collective energy in our group was that we didn't fit in and know how to really get in there, um, where we should be, you know? So no, we, <laughs> we didn't talk like that. We were led by fear and whiskey. Did you, but did something like prayer seem uh, creepy, weird, not like something a cool guy would do? What's your relationship with? Well, I'm not a religious guy, but I, I think there's something more out there. And when I was even in head PE during our difficult times, when it was just not going well, the singer and I weren't talking, it was a miserable existence for me. And I'm trying to control my drinking and using, which to control it and enjoy it is uh, impossible for a guy like me. I was praying a lot. We were doing this Bob Marley um, song at the end of the set, and I would always go behind my amps and pray. I was just like, God, help me. You know, if you're there, whatever you are, I need help. I don't know what to do. I feel lost. I'm, like, stuck in this horrible spot. So um, that that was never a problem for me, having blind faith, because I don't feel like anybody can really explain the unexplainable God and the universe. I mean, come on. Anybody who says they know, they don't know, you know, <laughs> how could you know the thing that created the entire universe that binds us all together through energy and love or whatever. So I just had blind faith that some, that this force was listening and would guide me. And you grew up, you're one of eight children. Is that right? Well, yeah, I'm technically an only child, but my dad had five kids. My mom had two kids and then they got together and had me. And then my, my, parents uh split up and uh, my mom remarried and that brought me a stepbrother so yeah i'm eight and then if you count my stepbrother that'd be nine so but and you guys grew up in southern california or that's where you sort of ended up growing yeah up? we were all in fullerton until i was five and then when we split up i went with my mom back east uh that's where she was from and i was in massachusetts for about five years and so this idea that um recovery. Uh, I was talking to people about that this morning, that there's this misconception that all of us went skipping hand in hand into recovery, sort of gleefully, you know, excited about this new life. And yeah. um, that was, you know, personally getting sober was the absolute last thing on earth I wanted to do. I bought lots of books about why it didn't work. I cried, I kicked, I screamed, all of that. What about you? Was it something that you were, say, eager to do or something that you were to do? Um, well, it was a long journey of feeling lost and not knowing what my problem was. Like it was just always, everything was little, it was tough. And I, and I knew that I probably partied too hard. Um, 
and I had, you know, moments of controlling it. So it was very, it was a very confusing time, but I knew something would change, needed to change, but I didn't know what I thought. Maybe if I got the drinking and using under control, that would be fine. But no, but by the time I went to rehab, I was so beat up. And the funny thing is I had written notes to myself and put them in my wallet, like things to do when I was out partying, like go to bed every night, make sure you eat, swear to you that I did this, trying to find a way to operate successfully in the world of partying. Um, so by the time I went into rehab and they taught me this concept that I was, that I was powerless. And as soon as I start drinking or using that, then I'm off the races. I can't control it. I got that. And so I was ready to try something new because I felt like I've tried everything myself. So I wasn't going in joyful, but some people go in and they still think they have ideas, right? They still, I can figure out. And you'll try to teach them like, this has worked for a lot of people. If you try this and they're like, yeah, yeah, well, that's good for you guys. I'm going to do it my way. I'm lucky that I wasn't that way. I had already done that enough. So by the time I entered rehab, I was like, please show me. And I heard these stories. I always share this one of a, this lady was a prostitute who slept in a park and turned tricks. And she's like, I did this program of recovery and I fell in love and went back to college. I run a law firm. I was like, what? So I was like, what did you do? I just started asking people what to do. And, and they told me if I did this stuff, it would work. And guess what? It does. It did. You got a whole bunch of friends to prove it too. Yeah, I um. So, at what point did you decide to start Rock to Recovery? Tell us about the origin of that. I'm sorry, say that again. At what point did you decide to start Rock to Recovery? Tell us about the origin of that. Yeah. So, well, when I was it, it was kind of a seed that was planted when I was in treatment. When I was in treatment, they have you in a curriculum. You know, you wake up and you meditate. You read some stuff. The yoga person comes. You talk to your counselor. It's like. It's like, you know, school or something. Um, we, we drew pictures. We did all sorts of stuff. Um, but what I noticed is when I would break out my guitar. Okay, I'm in a rehab with 22 dudes. So when you're beat up emotionally and, and all these emotions you have and shame and guilt and fear, you, I think the average person is like, that guy's cool. He's a weirdo. Screw that guy. You have It's very clicky. Um, I would break out my guitar on breaks and we'd write these stupid songs and we'd all start dancing together and like making up dumb country song lyrics. And it would bring us all together and the whole world would go away. And that always stuck with me. So when I was um, after that, you know, I got the corn gig. I figured it wasn't going to last forever. You know, it's a music gig. And uh, when I left my first band, I was really lost. So this time I want to kind of be ahead of the curve. And I think as part of my program of recovery, you know, you start learning that giving back and helping other people is really the biggest joy in life. So I was like, look, I could go out of this world as a guitar player who played in corn right on. How many of those are there? I mean, you know, rock guitar players, there's, they're ubiquitous. We're everywhere. Um, so it's like I started praying again as I was guided to that we can ask God, the universe, whatever. And I just and meditating on it like, OK, if I'm a musician because I, at one point I was an out of work musician who was sober. Like that was like, I felt like I was screwed. Right. I'm a musician, hard to make money. I'm sober. Gosh, poor me. I don't fit in. So the idea was to turn it instead of being in self pity and go, okay, if this is who I am, this is who I'm meant to be. How do I help people and make a living? And then it came to me um, pretty much in an instant, this whole concept of rock to recovery and bringing music into treatment centers. Um, 
you know, because I felt like it wasn't there. It was not in the one I was at. So you're telling me we're going to draw and color a picture, which is great. And I get the therapeutic value, but there's no music. This is insane to me. So the idea was to change all that. And so now, okay, your, your screen is breaking up a tiny bit. Ooh, or maybe that's mine, but I hear you just fine. If you guys are having any trouble hearing, just chime in. Let me know. That's um, the aliens. They're, they're tapping into our call. They want to hear us. They're interested. They know that you know the secret to life. And they're like, well, we've come here to find the one human right. who knows. And we just stumbled across this Facebook Live conversation. So hang out. No, seriously, the aliens are doing something crazy to your face. Uh, it's it's all good because I can hear you. You still look great. I do want to read Raymond's comment. Recovery is hard work. If I could give you what I have, I wouldn't because I wouldn't want to rob you of your own personal journey. Thank you, Raymond. You guys keep chiming in, comment, questions, all of that. About Rock to Recovery, it's now a huge company. I mean, you have how many employees? Uh, it's It's a big thing now. Yeah, well, I pitched it for a long time, and everybody would go, that's a great idea. Good. You want to hire me? Nope. So that went on for like six months, but we started in Balboa Horizons. I launched, By the way, I, I, uh, I uh, founded the organization on 12-12 of 12, so we're days away from our five-year. Love you too, Chris. Uh, that's a, a, a Air Force vet friend of mine. Hey, Chris. Um, Moniker. I, I hope I'm saying it right. He's, and he's a shredding guitar player. So I found it on 12, 12, 12 and launched groups in about May of 13. Um, so, you know, we're about four plus uh, years later and we're now part of the weekly treatment curriculum of about a hundred different treatment programs. There's 11 of us and we do about 450 sessions, uh, songwriting sessions every month. And again, for people, people, I don't think really get it when we tell them about it. it takes a second to think it. It's for non-musicians. It's not people always like to say, Oh, it's for like musicians trying to get sober or it's for young people. No music is like this divine energy we can tap into. So the idea is that we get non-musicians to play music through our instruction. I'll take any one of our guys. We'll take 12, 15, 28 people, whatever. And within an hour, we'll have them all singing and playing a song that we wrote together. They come in going, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not musical. That's what everybody says. No, 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 dog. I don't sing, dog. But we get them singing. Um, there's a way to do it. There's a way to break down those walls. There's a way to show people how to express and to write together, and that's what we do. Hold on. Even playing a guitar or just singing? Yeah, yeah. even playing oh. a guitar. Yeah, yeah. Like we have sessions. We bring in a couple guitars and various instruments. And you'd be surprised how musical people are. It, like we always tell people, okay, if you're three years old and somebody uh, – right after somebody says, I'm not musical, you don't understand. Okay, right. So if you're three years old and we put on music, what would you do? Well, I'd start dancing. Okay, well, who taught you that? That shows you that you're musical. And music is as simple as hitting a note on the keyboard and a couple there or one or two notes on the guitar. We're not trying to get them to do you know, Eruption by Van Halen. But what you find is you show each person a couple few notes that goes together and we have this discussion that we have about what we want to write about. Maybe it's like, you know, struggles you're having to stay sober or maybe your heart's broken over your mom dying, whatever. The lyrics become real to us and it's about all these little pieces that come together that we all bring that create this beautiful song, you know. And did you say you do 450 a month? A month, yeah. Did you say that? I did say that 450 a month. 
Um, we have 11 full-time guys. We're part of the weekly weekly treatment curriculum, meaning every week we're same bat channel, same bat time um, with 100 treatment programs. All within California or you have people all over the yeah, country? Yeah, so the, the bulk of our business is basically from um, Ventura County to San Diego, you know, Mexican border. But we have a contract with the Department of Defense now working with the Air Force Wounded Warriors. And uh, we fly around the country and do it on different uh, Air Force bases. Um, Other joint bases, a lot of them. You're getting tons of love from, from these dudes. Hey, love you people. What's up, Scott? Kyle Sherman, you're up, Kyle? And Carrie Yeah, Bates. you're rad. See, you know why Kyle's saying that? Because in all our sessions, when people accomplish stuff, we always say, you're rad. And it's kind of like our catchphrase. Well, I love that, but I don't know that you coined, you know, you own the patent on your rad. But no, no, I, we definitely do not. You, but you are rad. And now I'm going to put up David's comment. David Yates, I went through rock, to, rock Recovery in Costa Mesa in 2015. It changed my life. I'm from Alabama and still love and remember you guys. Yeah, David, thanks for writing. Yeah, um, it, it's weird how it affects people. It, it ever, I swear, even when I did it, it's like you think, okay, music's cool. Yeah, it's good for you, but... When you're super hurting and you just think you can't go on and you play music and you've never played before, there's a weird, inexplicable magic that happens. Are you planning to, or have you ever put on a performance with these people from the treatment centers? Well, that's tough because of HIPAA laws, right? HIPAA is um, a blanket law that protects people's medical information, right? Um, And so since people are under medical care, um, we can't do that. But... And we want to, and we'll get there. We've had to wait for people to be sober long enough so they are out of treatment programs. Um, and it's hard because people are in our program and then they fly back home to Alabama or Oklahoma or whatever. But um, what we are doing this time for the first time ever, we're having an event coming up for our five-year anniversary at uh, the Avalon Theater. And we're flying out a couple of our Air Force uh, Wounded Warrior um bandmates if you will we wrote one of uh the warriors we really bonded with was this uh first sergeant bobby Connolly. he came out to all the rock recovery sessions around the bases and then he passed away suddenly of a heart condition so we wrote a song for bobby with the uh air force wounded warriors so we're flying out jamiracle and anthony to our event and we're going to perform this song live for a crowd of about uh, 300 people at an intimate dinner party that is amazing. I'm going to be there. I can't wait. That's right. You're going to be there. That's right. I'm going to be there. Now, I have a question, you know, because I've talked to you a little bit about how I go into treatment centers and teach uh, people how to how to write their stories and then perform them. And then inevitably, after the fourth session, they all want to be writers. Do you, do you <laughs> teach, say they then want to be musicians? Yeah, we get a lot of that. Um We've sold a lot of music equipment, not directly, but like people are like, hey, I'm going to buy a keyboard now. I'm going to buy a guitar. Or what happens a lot is people, when we're talking to them on our check-in process before we start writing, they'll say, oh, I'm not musical. And then midway through the session, they'll say, well, I did play violin back when I was five. And guess what? I'm going to get it out. You know, And so a lot of people get connected or reconnected to their musical roots. Yeah, absolutely. It's cool. And, you know, one other thing, I remember being in treatment and um, 
and the counselor talking about, you know, cause I had been writing before and I couldn't imagine writing without cocaine. And we had this whole conversation about how, uh, you know, accessing creativity when you're used to accessing it when you're on stimulants or on some sort of alcohol. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about stage fright being a thing. But mm-hmm. what about it being a trigger to go back to your creative thing that you did when you were high? Mm. Well, triggers are real. Um, but there's something that we can work through, you know. Um and I think it has to do with a level of commitment to your recovery. You know, if you know you're going to go in a situation that's dangerous and a trigger for you, then you bring somebody with you or you do the things that are going to help you work through it in a safe fashion. You know, for me, when I had the corn gig and I knew it was going to be a trigger rich environment, you know, it meant I had to work harder on my recovery, you know. Um, but that's another good thing about rock to recovery is we bring music into treatment. It's a trigger for a lot of people, but they're in a treatment center. So it helps them work through that stuff. Um, my own experience is when I got so- sober, it, one of my guys, Sonny Mayo, he couldn't play guitar for like a year when he got sober. And that was his journey. He could tell you more about that. Um, for me, it wasn't a trigger. What happened for me is it took on a new meaning where – it was maybe a trigger when I was using and music was associated with being loaded. When I got sober, it became a coping mechanism. Playing my guitar was like, oh, my gosh, I'm freaking out. I'm stressed out. The sobriety, it's so much I could pick up and strum the guitar. I was like, oh, yeah. And I started writing, instead of songs that were in head PE or corn type songs, I started writing mellow songs and using it that way. So... And there's also, though, this idea, this long history we have of writers and musicians who believe that they need stimulants in order or alcohol to, in order to access their creativity. Yeah. How much more effective are you as a musician sober than you were before, if you are? No, absolutely. When I used to write and I was on uh, amphetamines, you know, I would be literally working on the same song for three days in a row without sleeping and just milling over it. And it was just a sloppy mess. Um, now I can make better decisions. I think the again, we have a lot of lies in our head or untruths um, when we're getting sober. And the reality is the music doesn't come from the drugs. The music's in you. Now, maybe the drugs help you get past that voice that says this isn't good or it's not good enough or it feels like the same old thing I always play, which that's just breaking down the wall of fear, right? So I think it, like anything, you continue to practice writing, for example, without getting loaded and you'll, you, you soon realize that you still have it, you know? Yeah, I know that when I, my last couple of years, I spent three years rewriting one script and um, yeah. Terrible screenwriter. And second of all, I just rewrote the same line. Oh, right, literally. Right, right. I know your pain. I know um, your pain. We had a question. I want to bring Carrie's question up to the screen. Curious if, as your music career grew and you continued to find a way to manage your addiction, were you ever really comfortable in your own skin? Yes. That's the that's the whole point of recovery. The reason I got lo- that you know. I thought my problem was drinking and using too much, but I realized that my problem was how I felt when I didn't drink and use. That's why it always took me back. So mm-hmm. the program of recovery that I've been working on and been taught is exactly that. It's designed to help me manage being comfortable in my own skin. And I'm coming up on, you know, I almost had three years and I got loaded again. And so I'm coming up on 10 years and every day I get more and more comfortable, but it takes work and it takes work. Uh, it takes about, 
it takes talking about those things that hurt you and the fears and the pains and getting them out, not using them as a form of self-pity, but processing that stuff. So um, for most alcoholics, addicts, you know, eating disorder, gambling addictions, most of us have these pains that we haven't dealt with. We've, we've masked them. We've numbed them out with drugs and alcohol. So it's, it's really about processing them and getting them to the surface and starting to go to parties not loaded and learn how to talk to people. And then you, after you do it a few times, it gets easy. And starting to do things that make you feel good about yourself. Maybe you start eating a little better. Or maybe you start dieting. I mean, I think it's all, it's all things together that slowly inch you more and more into a place where you feel good about yourself. And well, you, according to Craig Markham, are an amazing man with an amazing <laughs> and he's got with a little prayer symbol for anybody who can't see it. Or you know what somebody told me? That's actually supposed to be a high five, but I it looks like a prayer thing to me too. I know. Wes, we are just so spiritual where other people see high fives, we see prayer. That's right. So uh, Craig Markham, I got kicked out of high school for smoking weed and I got kicked out of my dad's house and I actually slept on his floor for a while when I was like 22 and, um, you know, I go out drinking all night and then it was anyhow. So thanks for putting up with me, Craig, all those years. He's a good dude. Craig, you're still speaking to Wes after all. Yeah. <laughs> um, now if people want to find out what is it, the message about rock to recovery, what do you want people to know? What can they find out? If obviously if they're at treatment centers, they should be hiring you guys to come in. Yeah. Um, what is the best website for it? I'm having some trouble finding that while talking. Yeah, Rock Two T O Recovery. We have a Facebook. We have an actual website. Um, we should be easy to find. Um, if you're a treatment center, I think the important thing to realize is, yeah, it's fun, but it's it's a lot more than fun. We help grow self esteem. We help open up clients. You know, all day long they're talking about their feelings and going deeper and trauma and this and that. And we get, we, we're kind of like, we reset that whole emotional vibration. Um, so I think it's important to offer something like this as an adjunct service with all the other stuff they go through. Um, that's why, why I think we have the success we do. Um, if uh, somebody wants to donate, we have a nonprofit. And we, the cool thing is we have a for-profit and a nonprofit. The for-profit absorbs all the administrative costs. So the nonprofit is like, I don't know, 95% of it goes to program services. And what we do is we take our services to like youth correctional facilities, veteran VAs, you know, um, wounded warrior. And um, if you want to donate, you can help us uh, take our program to places that would never be able to afford something like us. We go to Claire Foundation, which is like an indigent rehab in, uh, I guess, technically Santa Monica. So that's the way um, people can help support us. Um, definitely we have rock recovery, the Facebook page. If you give us a like, we have events and we have concerts with rock stars like Corey Taylor from Slipknot. And we had Chester Bennington sing, uh, who is a dear friend and, uh, Mike Ness. We honored him with our award. So we're trying to meld the community of rock and roll sobriety and the quote normal world. Um, uh -oh. so there's not, huh? You just broke up for a minute, but keep going. Okay. Yeah. So there's always ways and events that people can uh, get involved with and support us. Obviously following us on Facebook and Instagram are great ways to watch what we're doing. So I've got that Facebook URL up there. It's facebook.com slash rock to recovery. What about, can they come to this show that's in LA in a few weeks or is that open to the public? Well, it's a private event, right? 
But what I'm going to do right now is what we're doing is a private event because um, it's limited seating. It's only going to have a couple hundred people there. And we wanted to make sure because it's a five-year anniversary and it's a thank you event for all the people who have supported us. So we made it private to give those people first dibs on it. But what we can do here today is that anybody who goes and likes us on the Rock to Recovery page, the Facebook page, um, anybody that likes us, and if you send us a direct message saying, hey, I'd like to go to the show, I will pick one person uh, to get a free pair of tickets to go to that show. So what's the show, you say? Well, it's at the Avalon Hollywood, which is incredibly nice and bright, has red LED screens everywhere. We're having, uh, we're having an amazing chef-made dinner. We're having two amazing comedians, uh, Dean Del Rey and Greg Barrent, if I said his name correctly. Huh? Greg Barrent. He's Barrent. All right. I put the wrong. Funniest man alive, by the He's way. He's funny. I saw We just did a gig with him. I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. So, sorry, Greg Barrent. Um, they're they're going to be our comedians. We're having Tim Story speak for some inspiration. He's Robert Downey Jr.'s life coach, Kanye West's life coach. He's been on Oprah. The guy will just get you pumped up on uh, inspiration in life. And then we're having our Rock to Recovery all-star band play with some special guests. So I'm quite proud of the fact that in a couple hours you're going to get fed two amazing comedians, inspiration, and some live rock and roll with some amazing people. Um, I think it's a special event. It's all for a good cause. All right, you guys. So you heard it here. You got an exclusive. He is going west. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, if you show up at four o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Tuesdays, you never know what you're going to get. Just never know. You just never know. And by the way, if you're hearing this on the podcast, same is true for you. Go to Facebook.com slash Rock to Recovery, like the page, send Wes a message. You could be at that show. So thank you so, so, so much. I really appreciate you, this time, and what you're doing. And you too. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. We're all uh, soldiers in this war of love here, huh? Soldiers in this war of love. Let's end on that. You guys, thank you so much for showing up. I will see you next week. Bye. Bye.